Welcome to episode number 16 of Talking Mopars and part 2 of the three-part series on the history of the Hemi. Also on deck today, we have Project Car of the Week, high-performance parts, and a fun listener story. If you are a Mopar enthusiast, then you are in the right place. Don't go anywhere. You're tuned into the best Mopar enthusiast-driven podcast on planet Earth. And I'm your host, Chris Albrecht, better known as the Mopar Hunter. And this is Talking Mopars. You're listening to Talking Mopars with the Mopar Hunter, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Welcome back to Talking Mopars. Last week's episode was part one of the three-part series that we're doing here on Talking Mopars on the history of the Hemi. And on that first part, we talked about the first generation Hemi V8s. And today for part two, we are covering what could possibly be considered the most legendary engine in the history of automobiles. That's right, folks, the legendary elephant, the 426 cubic inch Hemi. But first, we're talking Project Car of the Week, high performance parts, and we got a fun listener story. So before we jump into the show, I want to remind you to send me your stories, questions, comments, complaints, suggestions, and so on to me at chris at talkingmopars.com or by leaving me a voice message that I can share on the podcast at my new number, which is 209-28-MOPAR. Okay, enough messing around. Let's get this show on the road. I am throwing a wrench into this week's Project Car of the Week. I feel like it would be fun to spice the segment up a little bit. So here's what we're going to do. Instead of just taking a look at one Project Car, or comparing two project cars, we're going to do something that we've never done before on this show. We're going to take four cars and do a comparison between all four deciding a winner at the end of the segment. But there is a twist. The twist is that I chose these cars in two different pairs. The first pair chosen were cars close in price, but not what I would necessarily consider to be cheap projects. But they're cool nonetheless. The second pair of Mopars are actually not cars that I would even consider projects, but for this exercise, they are perfect to compare the best bang-for-your-buck scenario of do you buy a project and invest the time and money to build the car of your dreams, or do you buy a car that's more of a turnkey driver that you could possibly make some changes to along the way, but ultimately buy, drive, and enjoy. So here's the deal. We'll break down pair number one, then choose a car from that first pair. We'll do the same thing with pair number two, then the two from each pair will battle it out for Project Car of the Week. Now, I do realize that the car that could win might not necessarily be considered a real Project Car, but let's not dwell on semantics here, folks, okay? I'm going to go ahead and assume that you are like me and that you can't leave well enough alone with your vehicles. Whatever you buy, you make it your own. Ergo, whatever car or truck you buy is essentially a project in one way or another. Okay, let's get into this and see if this little experiment that we're doing here today ends up being either a total train wreck, or maybe it ends up being a fun look at four cool cars. The first two cars we will be showcasing are definitely projects, so let's check out pair number one, and then we'll get into pair number two after. The first car in pair number one is a 1969 Plymouth Roadrunner located in New Hampshire, posted on the Mopar Hunter Facebook page on Sunday, the 16th of February at 9.50 a.m. Here's the ad. 1969 Plymouth Roadrunner 383 four-speed runs, drives, 
$18,999, Sandown, New Hampshire. Manual four-speed rebuilt with all new stuff, new performance clutch, shifter, etc. For sale, not trade, clean title. 1969 B5 Blue Roadrunner, 383 V8, all rebuilt. Has power steering. Added from a donor automatic on the column Roadrunner. You can see the auto gear indicator still there, but this was a manual steering, four-speed Roadrunner from the factory. Eight and three-quarter posi rear. Rebuilt, four-speed trans, new shifter, clutch, etc. and driveshaft. Real RM23 Roadrunner. Came B5 blue with vinyl top and blue interior. Fender tag is missing. Solid project, 19000 Starts, runs, drives, and stops. Have some parts to finish, like new headliner and some trim. No trades, thank you. Complete running, driving, stopping. New master cylinder, lines, and brakes. Alright, that was the ad. Before I get into the second car from pair number one, I just want to say that that ad was very hard to read. <laughs> I hate when ads are jumbled and it seems like that. I mean, he has in here Road Rummer. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, proofread your ads. Okay, make sure everything is clear and concise. And one thing that I didn't see here is that the odometer claims to have 89,000 miles. So there's that too. But, oh, and one other thing. We don't call them posi traction rear ends in Mopars. We call them sure grips, okay? <sighs> All right. So the ad is just, it's a mess, folks. I tried to decipher it as best as I could. And you pretty much get the drift. So... The second car in pair number one is a 1969 Dodge Coronet RT posted on the Mopar Hunter Facebook page on Friday the 21st of February at 9 a.m. and is located in Rhode Island. This is the ad. 1969 Dodge Coronet 440 RT $18,000. I have for sale a 1969 Dodge Coronet 440 RT. The car is a true high-performance RT. It has a new rebuilt date-coded 440 HP motor and transmission for it. I also have the factory twin scoop Ram Air hood for it. The car needs to be restored. The body is in excellent condition and needs a little work. Interior is all there, needs a little TLC. Please email me with any questions about the vehicle. I have many other new parts that go with the vehicle, lost storage for the vehicle, and don't have the time to finish. So this car deserves to be completed. Please, serious inquiries only. 18000 or best offer. Thanks for looking. Paul. Title status is clean. These are both pretty cool cars that are not complete rot boxes, however, both need a lot of love. But, you know, at least they both have clean titles, that's a good thing. I like that the Coronet is an automatic in the console rather than on the column. If it actually is, in fact, a true RT, then that's pretty cool too and makes it, you know, somewhat rare. It also appears to be T5 copper, which is a great color that you just don't see too often, and it's really nice. I like that it is mostly complete and. The only downside is the fact that it doesn't run and drive. It's possible that the seller is banking on the fact that the car is a solid, true RT. Of course, you'd have to verify that to prove it, but it's really hard to tell by the picture of the engine bay provided in the ad. But it does appear to still have a fender tag, and if so, I really wish that the seller would have taken a picture of it because that would have been really helpful into figuring out everything about the car. But it looks to have a tan interior with white bucket seats, and I think that's kind of a cool combo as well. It has a complete interior, according to the seller, so that's a good thing. It comes with a date-coded rebuilt engine and also a rebuilt transmission, so that eliminates the need of having to hunt one down, assuming that they're both in good working order. Apparently, it also has a fresh air hood with the twin hood scoops, and that's supposedly included in the deal, so that's cool. It's too bad that it really doesn't run and drive, but, you know, 
since it includes a rebuilt engine and transmission, you could really essentially have a cool, ratty Coronet relatively easily. So that's that's a positive. Um, the Roadrunner, it does not have a fender tag, which sucks. But the good news is that it runs, drives, and stops. So you know what I say about project cars that run, drive, and stop. That's a really good starting point. But the Roadrunner was originally B5 Blue, which is also a great color. And it's also a four-speed car, which is, you know, definitely a positive. It appears that the interior will need more work than the Coronet, and that's unfortunate. But the Roadrunner's primered, which is kind of a bummer to me because I love to see original paint on cars like this. The Coronet appears to still retain its original paint, which earns some extra points in my book. Um, these cars are both close in their prices, which, you know, admittedly aren't cheap, as both of them are around 18000 But after looking at them... I would have to choose the Coronet. I like the fact that the Coronet is allegedly a true RT, so let's just assume it's a real RT, and that it really does look like a solid project car that's in a color that I think is nice and not seen too often. Uh, that's that T5 copper color. Um, I'm coming to the conclusion that the Coronet would actually make a cooler ratty Mopar than the Roadrunner. I'm going to go ahead and choose the Coronet. The Coronet's moving on to the next round to battle it out with one of the next two cars. Pair number two are cars that are reasonably priced for what they are, and they're considerably nicer than the projects we just talked about, but only one of them will join the Coronet in the final showdown for this week's Project Car of the Week. So let's check out pair number two. The first car in pair number two is a 1966 Dodge Coronet 500 that was posted on Wednesday, February 18th at 3 p.m., and is located in Pompano Beach, Florida. Let's take a look at this ad. 1966 Dodge Coronet 500, 572 cubic inch Hemi, breathtaking look, 33,000, Pompano Beach, Florida, slash Fort Lauderdale. 1966 Dodge Coronet 500 bucket seat center console car, 572 cubic inch Hemi motor, Indy cylinder heads, 738 horsepower, Torque Flight 727 transmission with reverse manual valve body. 8 and 3 quarter rear end with Detroit locker. 323 ratio. Front and rear disc brakes. Original interior. Keystone classic wheels. All lights and gauges work as they should. All glasses in good shape and windows roll up and down nicely. Very low mileage on engine. Has between 70 to 80 PSI of oil pressure and runs at 170 degrees even on hot Florida days. An absolute joy to drive. The power and sound of this Mopar is absolutely breathtaking. $33,000. Title status is clean. The second car in pair number two is a 1968 Dodge Dart located in Bend, Oregon, and is not actually a Craigslist ad, but it is a car that I saw posted on the Mopar A Bodies for Sale group on Facebook on February 10th at 6 a.m. Check out this ad. 1968 Hemi Dart. 45,000, Bend, Oregon, 572 Hemi, Mega Block with Indy Heads slash Rocker Gear, CP Pistons, Oliver Rods, Cali's Crank, Hemi 4-Speed Fresh from Brewers, Original Dana 60 Strange 410 Strange 4130 Drive Shaft, Original Black Interior, Correct A100 Seats and Mounts, has most of the correct Hemi clone parts, 6-point cage, mini-tubbed, has black Hemi hood, nice. And that was posted by Chris Storley on the Mopar A-Bodies for Sale page on Facebook. By now you've figured out that I chose two Hemi cars to represent the higher priced, but, you know, overall nicer pair number two cars. 
I mean, it's only fitting, right? Especially on this episode where we're talking about the second generation of the Hemi. But it's actually just pure coincidence that I found these two Hemi cars. And I thought they fit perfectly with what I wanted to do this week. So that's how this came to be. But let's get into the cars. The Coronet is an absolutely gorgeous machine. Uh, the ad was great. I loved the ad. I mean, how could you not love it when the guy's selling you on 700 horsepower? You know what I mean? But you just can't go wrong with a big inch Hemi, you know, with dual fours sitting pretty on some keystones. The car presents extremely well and looks like it would be an absolute joy to cruise around in. And with a claim 738 horses under the hood, there is no doubt that this Coronet could hold its own out on the streets. The interior is super clean. It's got the beautiful black bucket seats and an automatic with a reverse manual valve body, ensuring that you'll be having some fun banging gears and burning rubber. The exterior of the car is also extremely clean. It would be really interesting to see this car in person to get a real idea of its true condition. But just based on what I see in the ad and the pictures, you know, it looks like an amazing car for 33000 I mean, 738 horsepower, a 572 cubic inch Hemi. What's not to like? The engine alone has to be around thirty grand. So that's a huge selling point for me. And if I was in the market, it would just that alone would make this car definitely worth a look. You know what I mean? But then you have on the other side of the coin, you have the 68 Hemi powered Dart. This car also has a 572 cubic inch Hemi and has been built to be a close replica of a Hearst Superstock Dart from 68 using most of the Superstock parts. The car looks absolutely stunning. It's got a roll cage in it, has a four-speed Dana 60. It has the rear wheel wells cut out like the original Hemi darts. It's got the Hemi hood, beautiful red paint. This thing, it's amazing for 45000 But don't get me wrong, I absolutely love the Coronet. But this dart, you know, even for a clone or a tribute car, if you will, for a mere $45,000, that just seems like a bargain to me. And I like the Coronet, but it was pretty easy to choose the Dart over the Coronet for this because even as much as I like the Coronet, you know, there's just something about a Hemi Dart. And I don't know if it's because I'm biased because I have a Dart, or maybe it's because a Hemi Dart is one of my dream cars, but there's just something that just edged out that Coronet a little bit. And the Coronet is a beautiful car. If I was in the market to spend that kind of money, I'd look at both of them and determine which one is the better deal. But in this battle here between these two cars, I have to go with my heart and my heart is with the dart. So, you know, the question now is, do you want a project car that you can restore or even turn into just a ratty Mopar to drive around and enjoy? Or do you want to fork out quite a bit more money and adopt someone else's very cool project? Here are my thoughts. To restore the Coronet properly, you'd probably spend more than the price difference between the Coronet and the Dart. You know, $27,000 to put into the Coronet would put you in the same money as the Dart. And, oh, just to clarify, it's the 69RT Coronet from the first pair and the Dart from the second pair. Those are the two cars that are battling it out right now that I'm talking about. So, 
you know, if you had the 27,000 and you put that money in the coronet, you know, you have a lot of room to work, but I don't think that you would get onto the same level as the dart with $27,000. That's just my opinion. But I'm not sure you'd have quite as much of a cool factor as the Hemi Dart with the Coronet restored either. I do like ratty muscle cars, and I think the Coronet would make a great ratty muscle car if you were like, you know, I don't have 45000 I only have, you know, 25000 Then maybe the Coronet would be a better option for you because then you could just get it, get in it and, you know, enjoy it as a ratty Mopar instead of worrying about the cost of restoration. But assuming the Dart is in very, very good condition, I think personally... I think I'd rather fork out the extra money and get the dart, but, you know, that's just me. You could just buy the Coronet and have a really cool ratty Mopar and spend far less, and you still have a cool car. But for me, the winner of this little four-car comparison was a pretty easy pick, especially since a 68 Hurst Superstock Hemi Dart is one of my absolute dream Mopars. So, the winner is the 1968 Hemi Dart for $45,000. Of course, I have to ask you now, which one would you choose? All four cars are cool, but the Dart, for me, is just a stitch above the rest. And the price reflects that. It's $45,000. It was the most expensive car out of all four. You guys know that I love ratty Mopars. So that's kind of why I wanted to throw this together, because a lot of people say, you know, oh, you could, why buy that piece of junk when you can go buy a car that's already done for you know, maybe a little bit less than double your money or double your money, you know, so I understand where they're coming from. And I agree, certain cars you probably would rather buy complete than have a complete project car that you're going to sink, you know, 60 grand into that's a $30,000 car when you're done. All four cars are really cool. You know, when all is said and done out of the four, I believe the Dart to be the best overall buy. All hail the Hemi Dart. It's time once again for High Performance Parts, the segment of the show where we take a couple minutes to highlight a Mopar from TV or movie history. This week's High Performance Part belongs to the 1968 Plymouth Barracuda from the 2004 movie Highwaymen. This movie is about a man who witnesses his wife's murder... Murder... murder. (laughs) This movie is about a man who witnesses his wife's murder by a hit-and-run serial killer and seeks to avenge her murder after having been sent to prison by tracking her killer across the country. The hero car in the movie is a red 1968 Plymouth Barracuda with a black superstock Hemi hood, fiberglass fenders, a Hurst pistol grip, torque thrust wheels, a suspicious front lip spoiler, and a roll cage. It also has a 426 Hemi emblem on the hood, so we can pretend it's a real 68 Hurst Hemi superstock fastback Barracuda, but in reality, the car was supposedly just a Formula S 344 speed car just, you know, um, it's a cool car, uh, originally, but it was converted into a Hemi Barracuda tribute car for the movie. The car is awesome. It's really cool. And from what I understand, it was one of at least three for the film. One of the other cars was a 318 powered stunt car with an automatic. And the last car was used as the car that is destroyed later in the movie. Spoiler alert. Uh, I heard a rumor that there were two hero cars making the total four cars, but You know, I really couldn't find definitive proof of that. You know how the internet is. You never know what information is actually correct. 
unless someone does some real investigative journalism, which I didn't. <laughs> but the car's parts on screen didn't end there on Highwaymen. One was used in the Herbie remake, the Love Bug movie. It played a role in a demolition derby and later in the movie gets, or later in the scene, gets crushed by a monster truck. Another was used on an episode of the TV show Malcolm in the Middle as Malcolm's first car in Season 6 on Episode 9, and it was also used as a background car on Season 2, Episode 15 of Criminal Minds. So, that's pretty cool. It's been around the block. Um, There are rumblings that it was used in a PBS documentary, but I, like others, was not able to confirm that. Rumor has it that the car was purchased on eBay for $5,600 in 2007, and its current whereabouts are supposedly in the collection of a private collector in Ohio, though I couldn't confirm that. This is all the info mined from the mysterious World Wide Web, where fake news is abundant. (laughs) The one thing we know is that there was a cool Barracuda used in Highwaymen, and it's found its way around various movies and television sets and ended up being featured on the Talking Mopar segment of High Performance Parts. This week's listener story comes to us from a guy named Eli about a car he got from his uncle. Here is Eli's story. Hey Chris, been listening to your podcast for a few weeks and love the podcast Keep It Up. Wanted to tell you the story of my 68 Barracuda I call The Mutt. It was my uncle's first car and had a swapped-in 318, and I always loved it. Back in 2001, it was involved in an accident, and my uncle decided it was time to redo the car. He liked the grill and hood of a 69 better than the 68, so while doing the body, it got the hood and grill swapped. He painted the car and then started on the interior. He also decided to finally swap the 318 out for a big block. So next, he built a 440 and transmission to mate with it, and along with an 8.25 rear end with 391 gears. This is the reason I call the car a mutt. The drivetrain was installed, but the car was never finished, and for the next 15 years, it always seemed like something got in the way of him finishing the car, until he got so beat up about it, he considered selling the car. One day he called me, and knowing I was fond of the car, asked if I would be interested in it. He said he would make me a deal if I promised to take him for the first ride in the car once it's finished, I could have it. I was blown away. I got it home in November, and basically didn't sleep for four months. When it was done and ready to drive, I called him. He came over and we took the Barracuda for an eventful, fun, and tearful first drive. First time it's been on the road in 16 years. It has a million stories since then, but I just wanted to share how I got started on A-Bodies and my love for them. Keep up the good work and thank you. Mopar or no car. Sincerely, Eli. Hey Eli, thanks for sending in your Mopar story. I love 67-69 to Barracudas. Fastbacks, notchbacks, I love them all. You are a lucky guy to have one. Your uncle sounds like a really cool guy, and it's clear that he saw that you liked the car enough to actually give it to you. I think it's great that you dedicated four months to get the Barracuda running and driving so that you could give your uncle a ride in his old car. What a great story. That was, you know, a long 16 years that that Barracuda had to wait before it saw the road again. But thankfully, it sounds like it's in good hands. A-Bodies make great Mopar project cars, and... They're starting to come up in value, so it's good that you have one now. Thank you for your kind words about the podcast. I'm glad you enjoy it. I love hearing that from listeners, that they love the podcast and that they're listening every week. And 
Absolutely, Eli, it is Mopar or no car. Thanks for sending in your story. That's the listener story for this week. And if you want to hear yours on this show, email me your story at chris at talkingmopars.com or call and leave me a message on my phone number. It's a, a phone number for my voicemail. And if you leave me a message, I'll share it on the podcast. All you got to do is dial my new number and leave a message. It's 209-28-MOPAR. In 1964, following the footsteps of the 426 wedge, an elephant came stomping into NASCAR. Its nickname derived from its massive size and massive power. The 426 race Hemi was definitely the contender that the underdogs at Chrysler needed to become the heavyweight champion of NASCAR. Chrysler's intention with the 426 Hemi was to win the 1964 Daytona 500. During initial track testing, the race Hemi managed to propel a 64 Plymouth to a blistering 180 miles an hour, which, at the time, was unheard of. In fact, the Hemi was such a capable beast that the 1964 Daytona 500 saw the Hemi take first place, with the first place bragging rights being issued to none other than the king himself, Richard Petty. How's that for flexing your muscle? The Hemi-powered Pentastars were breaking speed records and shattering the championship dreams of the competition. The 426 Hemi was so dominant that in 1965 NASCAR banned the Hemi since it wasn't a production engine. While Chrysler sat out the 1965 racing season, all would change in 1966 when the new street Hemi became mass-produced and available in regular passenger cars in Chrysler's lineup, making the Hemi eligible for NASCAR competition. In the 1966 model year, the Elephant would find its way under the hood of around 11,000 1966 Plymouth Belvedere's, Dodge Chargers, and Dodge Coronets, sporting dual quads and a major ego. With the Hemi name trademarked by Chrysler, you could tell they meant business. The bore spacing and deck height were the big factors in crowning the Hemi at the time as the biggest engine in racing. The 426 Hemi wasn't just a force to be reckoned with in stock car racing either. The Hemi was also a dominant force on the drag strip. Once drag racers figured out how to push the new platform to its limits beyond even that of the first generation Hemi predecessors, the quarter mile game had officially changed forever. Initially, the Hemi was intended for racing purposes and not actually for passenger car street duties. Obviously, that changed to the benefit of Mopar enthusiasts around the globe. Starting in 1966 and ending in 1971, the 426 Hemi could be found in many of the cars Cryco had to offer. Amongst other things, the street Hemi had a lower compression ratio compared to its racing counterparts, making the street Hemi tame enough for the street compared to the racing versions of the engine, which were cranked up for domination of the competition. To this day, the second generation Hemi is continually being refined in drag racing applications, and its unrivaled strength and toughness under the brutal conditions that competitive drag racing brings is a testament to the engineering marvel that the second generation based Hemi is. I mean, take for example the no prep racing movement. Some of the top names in that form of drag racing run Hemis with power adders. Here's the kicker. Not all of the cars are actually Mopars. I can think of at least a few non-Mopar cars that run Hemis with power adders, and they are some of the fastest out there. The 426 Hemi was a menace at the drag strip in stock car racing and on the streets too. In some cases, it actually still is. At the end of the day, the second generation Hemi will always be considered one of the most ego-crushing engines on the street and at the track. With a factory rated 425 horsepower at 5,000 RPM and 490 pound-feet of torque at 4,000 RPM, the 426 Hemi was a force to be reckoned with no matter what street or track it showed up to. In the world of Mopars, the 426 Hemi is widely known as both the most coveted and collectible power plant in Cryco history. When you watch the auction shows on TV, you see that Hemi cars are still fetching crazy prices, and rightfully so. The 426 Hemi has left its mark on the world 
And in my opinion, it's got to be hands down the most famous high-performance engine in the history of automobiles. If you want to learn more about the intricacies of the second-generation Hemi, I strongly encourage you to broaden your Hemi knowledge by doing your own research. There's just so much information out there on not only the history of the Hemi, but the technical aspects of it, that if you are interested in the subject, the amount of information that's out there to consume is going to keep you busy for a long time. Remember, folks, knowledge is power. Long live the 426 Hemi. Before we close up shop for this episode, I want to give you some homework to do until the next episode. There's a couple Hemis out there that you may have never even heard of, and they're controversial, and some people don't even believe they exist. But here's a couple Hemis that you should look up and learn a little bit about because I think they're pretty cool. One is the BS Hemi, which I know what you're thinking, but it actually stands for Ball Stud Hemi. With this new design of the Ball Stud Hemi, it was going to be mass produced and it was going to take care of some of the production costs and some other things that were plaguing the Hemi. But it never came to be, it never saw production. Another Hemi that you should probably look up because it's quite interesting is the dual overhead cam Hemi that was never released to battle Ford's 427 single overhead cam engine in racing, but that never happened. But it's still a cool, interesting engine to look up. Um, there's some information out there about it. You should also take a look at what a lot of Mopar enthusiasts don't even believe was ever a real thing. And although it was in development, it never made it to production, and that is the 440 Hemi. Yes, <laughs> there was a 440 Hemi that was in development, but it never actually made it to production. So when someone says their uncle had a 440 Hemi, you know he's full of it. <laughs> and lastly, did you know that there was a twin spark plug Hemi long before the 5.7 Hemi was even a thought? Go look that one up. That one's pretty cool too. I'm actually going to do an episode in the future about these unknown Hemis but in the mythical Hemis. But for now, you should go check them out for yourself. Also, I should mention that a very important figure in Hemi history was intentionally left out of this episode. And that figure is someone who I talked about on the Little Red Express episode, and that's the godfather of the Hemi, Tom Hoover. I'm going to do an episode about him in the near future. He was a very important person in the Mopar world and definitely helped change the history of the brand as an engineer for the company during his tenure there. But more on Mr. Hoover in another episode. I think he's important enough that he deserves his own standalone episode, and we're going to do that in the future. So that wraps up part two of the history of the Hemi. Tune in next week when we bring things into the modern era and talk the third generation Hemi. This is where things get really interesting and where the game changes once again. That's one thing that I think is amazing about the Hemi history is you know, the three different phases it has gone through and the evolution of the Hemi and where we are today and how crazy the engine is today. We're going to get into that next week, so stay tuned. That's it for this episode of Talking Mopars. I really enjoyed our talk today, folks. It's always a good time here on Talking Mopars because that's what we do. We talk Mopars. And I'm really excited to get into part three of the history of the Hemi. We are still just scratching the surface with all this Mopar stuff. The way I figure it, this podcast could very well go on until I die. You know, there's thousands of topics we could cover, hundreds of cars, hundreds of just aspects of Mopar enthusiasm that I think will be great topics for the show. And once again, I will tell you that 
direct connections are coming. I will start getting conversations with other people on this show. That's going to be really fun. But until then, for more information about this podcast or to listen and subscribe to the show, please visit TalkingMopars.com. Also, don't forget that you can send me stories, questions, comments, complaints, suggestions, and everything else that you can come up with at Chris at TalkingMopars.com. Sharing the website with all of your Mopar friends is the best way to help me spread the word about this podcast. And you can also leave me a voice message that I will share on this show at my new number, which is 209-28-MOPAR. Until we talk again, I am your host, Chris Albrecht, and that was Talking Mopars. Thank you for listening to Talking Mopars, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Until next time, remember, no Mopar left behind.